the first service got a little recommend, uh, reprimanded for not doing a good job. I don't want to do that with you guys, all right? So good morning and welcome to Grace. Grace. Nailed it. As you walked in this morning, you were handed a worship guide. And we've got a section in our worship guide we've called the communication card. Now if you guys are new with us here at Grace Bible Church, we like to say welcome. We're glad you're here with us today. We also love to hear from you. So if you would on your communication card, write down your name and all your information and check off the little box that says, I'm new. At the end of the service, we pick up the offering. You tear off the communication card and you drop it in the basket. And by doing so, we have a gift. It's a book called How Good Is Good Enough. It's just a way of saying thank you for coming and being with us here at Grace Bible Church today. After the service, see me outside in the foyer and I'll be more than happy to give you your gift. But not only that, by filling out your communication card, you're gonna be getting a Starbucks card in the mail. Again, it's just a way of saying thanks for coming and being here with us today. You guys have been with Grace for a while now and maybe you've got some questions about your faith or you recently trusted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. You, maybe you want to get baptized. Anything you want to let us know, write on a communication card. Again, at the end of the service when we pick up the offering, just drop it in the basket and we'll get back to you right away. Just two reminders, uh, the EDGE is not going to be meeting for the next two weeks. Those are our, our, the EDGE that meets here on the first service. We'll take a little break for the next two weeks and our classrooms have been closed for the whole month of July, but we'll be up and running uh, starting August, and that's K-5 through 5th grade. At this time, I want you guys to check out this quick video. the points that really stuck out was the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves are the most important. If we get those wrong, we got a, a lot wrong in life. And I think we get caught up trying to, I guess, make us the attention instead of God. What I liked the most about Challenge was just the atmosphere and the aura uh, wherever you went, especially in the gatherings. Music, the worship was awesome. The gatherings that we had twice a day at Challenge were really powerful. We had worship and uh, we had these amazing speakers. And day by day, I just felt the Holy Spirit growing in me and all my friends. My favorite part about Challenge was definitely getting closer to my small group and making closer friendships and better friendships. I just love Challenge so much, and it was my first time. and. Just you know, loved everything about it and all it all it had to offer. Five thousand people. Five thousand people. Five thousand Christians. Around five thousand. Five thousand. Four or five thousand students. For the five thousand people that were there. Challenge. I had the opportunity to sit on the couch and speak to all 5,000 students, just kind of covering what we had talked about the day before. And I, I liked that a lot. It was, it was kind of like a small group. The 5,000 people there, I mean, it just made me feel like at home. And it made me feel like there were so many other Christians around the world. So it made me, like, it made me feel like it's not just me. Uh, what I liked most was just the environment, just being around a bunch of other Christians, a bunch of other teenagers, and just feeling the presence of the Lord. I didn't realize how much God really loved me and like, how much I had loved Him. never felt alone throughout the whole trip. I got to go closer to um, my sisters in Christ and that we got to bond and 
just have so much fun and I love the worship. I felt as if we were just having fun while doing it and it meant so much to me. It was a really life-changing experience. I grew closer with everyone at Grace. Um, I feel like I'm part of the family now and I grew closer with God. And this week really helped me get back on track and especially like with small groups, worship, love moves, especially love moves, helped me uh, realize that I need to live more for Him. I also liked how interesting where we would like fall asleep. <laughs> being with or being a part of the 5,000 people that were there, um, you felt very welcome and you felt like you were a part of something big. We want to especially thank all of the volunteers that, that joined uh, the youth ministry or the student ministry and Pastor Tim and taking a group of 65 uh, people to challenge. And I also want to thank the congregation, those of you who partnered with us in prayer for, for our group as they went up uh, to Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, returned safely, but had a, a great time, an amazing time. And those were the things that we mentioned we'd pray for, for them to have a great time of fellowship, of impact within the community, uh, and that they could learn how much just how much God loves them uh, through this experience. So that's what they were able to do. Uh, before we move forward with our series and our sermon for today, just, want, just a reminder that September 4th, we have our, our capital campaign uh, coming, uh, coming to us. And uh, so on September 4th, we're asking everyone to just take some time, and we have been asking, take some time during the summer, prepare your hearts, prepare your homes uh, to see what we can all gather together as a church, as a first fruits offering on September 4th, and bring it here for uh, the capital campaign for our building. Uh, we are, the, the, the plans are progressing with the architects. We've seen some images. Uh, we've seen a walkthrough of the lobby, and some things are, uh, it's starting to move really fast now, so we're starting to see a lot of it come together, and uh, it should be we should be finished with the design portion here pretty soon. Uh, maybe sometime at the beginning of August or in mid-August, we should be finishing that up so that they can move into the diff uh, next phase. And so for us as a church, the challenge for us is uh, we have this property, we have this land, and now we need to raise funds in order to, to, to break ground on this building and see it be built. And so we have three goals. The basic goal is $3.7 million. This would allow us to begin construction on a new building only. Uh, this goal would require leasing or selling our current facility. So that's the, the basic goal. The next goal is a challenge goal of, of raising $5 million. And, uh, and that would allow us to start construction on the new campus with minimal debt and allow us to immediately start a Spanish-speaking ministry here at our current facility. Uh, because we don't have that debt, because we're not moving in with the amount of debt we would be with the $3.7 million, it allows us uh, to then in turn and, and keep this building, keep this property, and start investing more into our community here uh, with the Spanish-speaking service. The miracle goal is $6.7 million. And you guys know that our vision is to plant churches in every zip code here in Laredo and to have a Spanish-speaking service here and reach as many as we can in Laredo. The $6.7 million goal will help us do that in a grand way. Uh, we would have no debt at all, and, uh, and we could start investing in other zip codes of our community uh, because we'd be able to raise that money. And I know when we think of millions of dollars, it seems un insurmountable. It seems like there's no way that we can do it. Um, but I can say this is that we, it's very insurmountable if we're expecting one or two, two people to put it all together or 10 people to make it all happen. But when we all work together as a body and we're all contributing, what seems insurmountable becomes very possible. And so uh, that's what we're asking. Just take some time, pray, think, 
think through it. September 4th, we bring the first fruits and we commit to a 24-year commitment. We make a 24-year uh, commitment. Wow. We're asking you to sign your lives away. No, it's a 24-month commitment. Sorry, I'm very sorry about that. It's a 24-month uh, commitment towards seeing this, this building built. And we've said it before that if, I mean, we, we've heard the testimonies during the summer. We've heard the testimony after testimony after testimony of people who have been touched, uh, whose lives have been changed uh, through the ministry of, of, of Grace Bible Church. And so how many more could we reach if we have seating for more people? Uh, even if you look around you now today, it seems a little more empty than what it is on second service, but typically this place is full on a second service and we have people outside. So the more space we have, the more people we can reach with the gospel of Christ, and that's, that's our goal. So just be thinking about that. Keep that in the back of your minds. Uh, so today we're continuing the series of heaven, and um, we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 20. And so if, if you don't have a Bible today, there should be a Bible underneath the chair in front of you, and you can get to uh, Revelation chapter 20. We'll be reading verses 1 through 15 uh, within that passage. So we've been looking at the series, and we've been looking at heaven. Uh, the first week, Pastor, Pastor Eddie uh, explained to us why it's important to have a proper perspective of heaven. Having a proper perspective of heaven helps us change the way we live today. Uh, and so if, if we can understand heaven in the, in the sense that Scripture explains it to us, then uh, we're less likely to want to hold on to the things of this world because we're looking forward to an even greater and better place, of even greater and better community, an even greater and better home in heaven where Christ is preparing that for us already. So that helps us do that. The second week, we talked about hell. And we, uh, we came to realize through Scripture that hell is real. Hell is real. It's a real place. We're not going to hide from that. We're not going to say anything different than what Scripture says. And Scripture says there is a hell. And, 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 and hell is for a place, is a place for Satan and his demons. And those who choose to reject the gospel of Jesus Christ and continue to live by their works and their sins, then hell becomes a place for them. And we also realize that by looking at hell and teaching that it is real, that is not diminishing the love of God, which is one of the questions many would have. How could there be uh, a hell if God was loving? Uh, and we realize through looking at passages and looking at the life of our Savior and his sacrifice on the cross that hell only magnifies the love of God because Jesus Christ was willing to go through hell in order that he didn't live without us for an eternity. So it doesn't diminish it and only magnifies it. Last week, we took a look at some of the practical things about heaven, relationships, how things would look, and we started realizing that uh, we're not just going to be, uh, you know, spirits with some diapers on floating around with a harp and, and, and just uh, the, the way that we over-spiritualize things. No, hell, I mean, heaven is going to be a very practical place uh, where we will recognize people, we will have relationships, we will have life. And so... We learned about that, and today we're going to take a look at what, uh, what seems to, to bridge the gap, one of the events that seems to bridge the gap between intermediate heaven and the new heavens and the new earth, which is in chapter 21 and on. But in chapter 20, we are confronted with a reality, the reality of a millennial kingdom. And in chapter 20, we see that millennial kingdom, we see some issues that we'll be addressing, uh, but... Um, we also know and understand that there are some different, differing opinions, and one of those opinions uh, is that we are currently living in the millennial kingdom. 
But the millennial kingdom was to be under the rule of the Messiah, under the rule of Christ. It was supposed to be under the rule of a perfect person, which is Jesus Christ. And imagine a civilization under his perfect rule. So when I look out today and I see all of the destruction, all the calamity, all of the issues today that surrounds us today, I can't believe that this would be the millennial kingdom. And if you don't believe me, let me give you another example of why I don't think this is a millennial kingdom. Ding, ticka, ding, ticka, ding, 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 ding. There he sits inside your local coffee shop, sporting a main bun and facial hair. Somehow he believes, although he has no job, that by his 30s he will be a millionaire. M I L L E N N I A L. Gotta love millennials. M I L L E N N I A L. Gotta love millennials. She posts lots of selfies on her Instagram. show that to, to break up the seriousness of the topic a little bit. don't necessarily believe they're the reason why this is not the millennial kingdom. <laughs> Just thought it was very interesting. Now, a little disclaimer, I think I'm a part of the millennial generation. I kind of broke those at a very early age. I, yeah, I, don't, I don't think a lot of that. I don't want to be a millionaire. That's the only thing that doesn't apply to me. <laughs> All right. Some of the parents in here are just pinching their kids. You see? You see? You see what I'm saying? 
<laughs> let's jump into the word of God. Before we do that, let's just pray. Father, we come just humbly before you, asking that you would give us understanding, clarity, and coming to know just a little bit more about this kingdom that's to be set up and established by your son Jesus and for your son Jesus. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts, open our ears. Um, let us hear today. Let us hear what your word has to say. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're looking at the millennial kingdom. We're in chapter 20, verses 1 through 15. Now this is a large subject. We're going to do our best to try to condense this as, as much as we can within the next 25 minutes. Are we good with that? So um, there will be some scriptures we'll be flipping back and forth from. Uh, you can either try to keep up with me by flipping in the Bible, or you can, um, you can follow along back here on the projector. But let's go ahead and jump in. So chapter 20, um, we believe that this is chronologically happening right after chapter 19. And some would say, well, of course, Pastor Age, that's why it's written chapter 19, chapter 20. But that's not necessarily everyone's belief. Some believe that it's more of a parallel account of the destruction of the world, uh, where we believe that it's not a parallel account. It's, it's, chrono it's, it's, it's a chronological uh, order here that, that the, the writer is giving us. And the word that we use uh, to kind of describe that is the first word in the ESV. It's then. Uh, in Greek, it's and. And so that's just a continuation of the paragraph of the chapter before. So uh, this is after Christ has come down and, and wiped out all of, all of the wickedness that was there at that time. And uh, we'll pick up at verse 1 in chapter 20. It says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Okay, so the very first thing that John saw here was he saw an angel coming down from heaven. And, and this is in contrast to what he saw in chapter 9. When you go home, you can read that. In chapter 9, it says a star had fallen, and he had the key to the bottom of his pit. He opened it up, and then the great tribulation began. And pretty much we could say all hell breaks loose on earth during that time. Uh, but now in chapter 20, we're seeing something different. We're seeing an angel coming with the key uh, to the bottomless pit and with the great chain. And he seizes the dragon and he puts him in the pit. And let's just look at the words that, is, that, that it uses to describe this event. It says he threw, them, he threw him into the pit. He shut it. Okay, he shut it. Shut the pit. Satan's in the pit. He shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. Uh, so if, if Satan is thrown into a pit, the lid is shut, it's sealed, what would that communicate to you and me? Does that communicate that he's still able to uh, do any type of work here on the earth at all? No, this, this seems to communicate with the language it's using, shut it, sealed it over him, that he is bound. He is bound and he can do no evil. He cannot deceive anyone anymore, any longer during this period, during these thousand years. And so let's take a look at some passages uh, that, 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 teaches what's happening right now in the world. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. We know that Satan is still blinding the nations. He's still blinding people from the truth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says this. It says, in their case, the God, lowercase g, meaning Satan, someone other than our God, someone other than the Father, 
lowercase g, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and he's saying that the unbelievers are blinded by the God of this world. Again, I have to ask the question, if Satan is thrown into a pit, it is shut and sealed, uh, would that mean that he's able to blind people from the gospel? Another thing it says, so that during this time, he would no longer be able to deceive people about the gospel. He would not be able to deceive people. Would he be able to blind people's eyes if he were, still, if he were locked up, shut, shut in that pit, according to Revelation chapter 20? No. So we know to begin with that this is an event that is to come. This is something that will happen. And these texts in the New Testament helps us see that through understanding how Satan is working in this world. Another one that we'll read is uh, in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Here, Peter talks about him being, uh, being someone who wants to devour. He says in, in uh, chapter 5, verse 8 of 1 Peter, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Does that sound like someone who's shut, who's, who's thrown into a pit, has it shut and sealed? No. It sounds like he's still out and about, and he's still loose, and he's still doing his job, correct? Or he's still doing what he thinks is his job, which is trying to deceive and take as many people with him to an eternal damnation. Do you understand that? So it, this is still something to come, something that will happen. Uh, another thing that we see that Paul, I, I, you don't have this one in the text, but I'll give you the address. It's 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. Paul says that he disguises himself as an angel of light. He disguises himself as an angel of light. Now, if he's disguising himself, what is that considered? Deceit? Deceiving? Deceit. So, so then we still see that he's working in a way that chapter 20 is saying he won't be able to work during that time. So we know that this is something that will come to pass. This is something that hasn't happened yet, and Satan will be bound. He will be bound for those thousand years, and he won't be able to deceive anyone. He won't be able to, to do any harm to anyone. He won't be, it'd be almost like he's non-existent, sealed up, shut away, and he's bound, not able to uh, uh, affect humanity any longer during those, a thousand, during those thousand years. Let's continue reading chapter 4. It says, Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those uh, to whom the authority to judge was committed. So I'll stop there. Uh, there's some discussion because the names of the people aren't given, uh, the identity of those on the thrones aren't given, but we do remember that Jesus told the disciples that you, they will eat at his table and that they will judge over the 12 tribes of Israel. So many believe that this, these are the disciples who sit on these thrones and have the authority to judge. Uh, also, I saw the soul's of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on, on their foreheads or on their hands. So he saw the souls of those who had been beheaded. They had been martyred uh, for the gospel during the great tribulation. And let me just show you a timeline really quick. It's in your worship guide, but let me explain the timeline for you. So here, Genesis chapter 1 through 2, we have the beginning of mankind. Uh, we have the fall of Genesis 3, the, the need for uh, a savior. We have the cross there. And then after that, we have what, that little swoop there, the, the rapture of the church. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Then after the rapture of the church, we have the great tribulation, which will be a seven-year period. And so these people that John sees here are the souls of them who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast 
or its image and had not received its mark on the foreheads or their hands, these people are people that will be martyred during the great tribulation. These are people who will be killed for the gospel during the great tribulation because they will refuse the mark of the beast. They will refuse uh, the, the, the lies of the enemy. They will refuse that and they will hold on to the gospel. And so he's seeing them here, uh, the souls of them, he's seeing them uh, come back to life. So let's keep reading in verse, uh, we're going to pick up still in verse 4. Um, so let's read verse 4 again. Then I saw the thrones of those seated in the um, Seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life, so they resurrected, they, they got their, their glorified body, their glorified state, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So we know that these martyrs of the great tribulation, they're resurrected. They come back to life and they reign with Christ for a thousand years. And verse 5, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were, were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed, it, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So, we see that this is a first resurrection, but one of the things that we have to talk about here with this first resurrection is that it's not necessarily speaking here, it's not necessarily speaking a chronological order between the first and second here in Revelation chapter 20. There is a contrast being made between those who resurrect in Christ in whichever period of history. They resurrect in Christ, they go to heaven, or they reign with him during the millennium. That's the first resurrection. Okay, so there's, there's, there were a few, resur few resurrections within the history of Scripture. And uh, so let's, let's take a look at those. Uh, the first resurrection that we see is Christ. Christ was, died, was buried, and resurrected. So he is the first fruits. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 23, uh, you can go home and read it or you can turn to it now, it states that he is the first fruits. He is the first fruits, meaning he was the very first to resurrect uh, to receive the glorified state. So Christ resurrected and he was here on earth for, for several days uh, with his disciples. Uh, and, and so he was the first fruits of the resurrection. Another thing that happened was kind of weird because in Matthew chapter 27, verses 52 through 53, we see that a number of saints are resurrected. A number of saints are resurrected. Can you imagine being alive during that time? And seeing people just kind of come out of their tombs and their glorified state, glorified body, and they're just walking around the city. I mean, it's just like, what in the world just happened? Like, you were dead. I mean, that would freak me out. I don't know. That was, but they, they resurrected, okay? So if we're looking at the New Testament, we're seeing that there's several resurrections that take place. So Revelation chapter 20 cannot be giving something chronologically as far as the resurrection, but it's giving a contrast between those that resurrect first, which is us, the saints, and those who resurrect last, which is the wicked to be judged, and we'll talk about that a little later on. The other thing that we'll, the other scripture that we'll look at is 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, verse 13 through, through 18. And here we're looking at what we believe to be the rapture. These, this is one of the scriptures that talks about the rapture. This is the blessed hope of us, the church, of us, the brethren, the blessed hope that we will be caught up with Christ. And so here's what 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18 says. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, 
that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. And remember that here the word asleep is not being used as them literally being asleep, but it's a metaphor for them, for their bodies being at rest here on earth, but their souls in heaven with Christ. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There's no in-between. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that's what he's, that's what he's talking about here. That you may not grieve as, as, others, uh, as, other do, as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Uh, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who believe, who are alive, sorry, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not proceed, will not precede those who have fallen asleep, will precede those who have died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry and of, of command, with the voice of an archangel and the sound of a trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And so they were wondering in Thessalonica, the church in Thessalonica, they were wondering, well, what happened to those who, who, who died before Christ? What, what, happens, what happens to those who died? And, and, and Paul is saying, don't worry about them. The, one thing that Paul says is, again, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. So we know that their souls are with God. But he says here that they will be resurrected. So the dead resurrects first. And some would say that they have to resurrect first because they're six feet under. And then uh, those who are still alive... Those of us who are still alive during this second coming, or not second coming, during this rapture event, um, will be caught up with, with the Lord. Now, let me just make a quick, let me just show you just a quick difference between the actual second coming and the rapture. Let's go back to the timeline. So, the second coming of Christ is always, 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 always spoken of with final judgment. Always. Always. And these rapture, these scriptures about the rapture, about the church being taken away, about the church meeting Christ in the clouds, there is never a mention of judgment in it. So we know that this is a different event. This is a very specific event for the bride of Christ, for those of us who have come to trust Christ, those of us in this world and the generations prior who came to trust Christ and put their faith in Christ. That is the rapture. Because it's, it's too different to try to make it the same thing. We have the second coming, which is always referenced with judgment, with final judgment. But anytime we hear these or read these passages that seem to refer to the rapture, there is no mention of judgment. It's about the church meeting Christ in the clouds and going to be with him in heaven forever. So that's another resurrection. But there is a, there is a common denominator in these, these events, the event of Christ, the event of those who believed and trusted Christ and came back to life in Matthew chapter 27. In the rapture, there is a common denominator, and that is that we're all trust, we're all Christ-believing people. We're all people who trusted Christ and put our faith in him. So we're all the church. And that's what he's talking about. The righteous will be, will, will be raised first. The righteous will be raised first. Secondly, the wicked will rise in order to be judged. So let's keep reading. Let's keep reading here. So Let's pick back up in verse 5 of chapter, of chapter 20. It says, The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed, blessed and, and holy 
is the one who shares in this first resurrection over such a second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. They will reign. This is kingdom terminology. This is something that God has put in place. This is something that we believe. This is a period in time in which God will fulfill all of his promises to Israel. See, uh, some, of the, some of the other beliefs about the millennial kingdom would be that the church has replaced Israel in history. The church has replaced Israel before the eyes of God. But we don't believe that. We don't believe the scripture doesn't, doesn't teach us that. Scripture doesn't teach us that, that God is now fulfilling all of his promises through the church. No. What scripture teaches is that when the Jews uh, rejected Jesus Christ, their Messiah, when he first came, when they rejected him, they rejected the kingdom. And therefore, their kingdom was set aside for a moment. Their time was set aside for a moment. And now God is reaching out to the Gentiles. And not only is he reaching out to the Gentiles, but he's using the Gentiles in order to spread the gospel throughout the world. And this is the church age that we live in now. So that's just a, a little difference between uh, some, so what some would believe that we have replaced it and what we believe that, no, we, we haven't replaced Israel. God is still going to fulfill his promises to Israel. God is still going to carry out his promises that he made uh, with Abraham, the covenant that he made with, with David uh, in 2 Samuel, which we'll look, at, uh, we'll look at now. So in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, this is what God says to, to David. This is considered the Davidic covenant, and this is uh, part of the end of that covenant. He says, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Uh, the one thing that we have to understand and remember is that to the Jewish people, even to the disciples, and even to those that the disciples were, were reaching, they knew that God was going to establish an earthly kingdom for Israel, an earthly kingdom that would have no end. Why? Because it was promised in the Old Testament. It was, it was spoken about in the prophets. Uh, the, David, the, the Davidic covenant talks about it here with God making that covenant and that pact with, with David and saying, I will establish your throne forever. So even after Christ resurrected, what was one of the main questions on the disciples' mind? They said, Lord, is this the time at which you will restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said, the times and epics aren't for you to know, but power has been given to you to spread the gospel. So even then, they were thinking it's an earthly kingdom, something to be established, something to come. Jesus didn't deny that kingdom. He just said, the times and epics aren't for you to know. I'll give you the warning signs. I'll give you some signs that are pointing towards this happening and culminating. But you won't know exactly when that's going to happen. But in their minds, they were still looking toward that. And even in, in Romans chapter 11, if we go to Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 27, Paul says this, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. Not a complete hardening, not a full hardening, if we had replaced, if the church had replaced Israel, that should be a full hardening, but it's a partial hardening. I'm setting you aside for a moment. Um, partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. That means the gospel is yet to go and reach places and people. God has this number, and as soon as that number is fulfilled, then this will trigger these events. And the rapture comes and takes the church. We go into the great tribulation, and then the millennial kingdom comes about. 
but it's not until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. There is still a kingdom to be established for the Israelites, for the Jewish nation. And Christ is going to be their king. Christ is going to be their Messiah. Christ is the one that will sit on David's throne forever. But that's still to come. And that's during this time of the millennial kingdom. Let's keep reading. Let's pick up at verse 7. All right, we've got to speed it up here a little bit. And when the thousand years ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come, will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So this is the final, the, 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 the final judgment for Satan. This is where, the final, where God finally gets rid of him for good, for eternity. This is, he's done at this point. And so, but what's interesting about this little passage is you see that he's released during these thousand years and he, and he still deceives the nations who during this time is under whose rule? The rule of Christ. Christ will reign for a thousand years. And yet these people who are living within this millennial kingdom some at the end, when Satan comes out and Satan is released, will still be deceived. Go back to the timeline really quick, Velia. Let me just show you something. Someone asked me this. They said, well, who are those people that are going to be deceived? Remember the Great Tribulation? Some people will be translated from the Great Tribulation into the thousand-year reign of Christ alive by putting their trust in Christ. They will come in into the millennium kingdom because they would have believed in Christ during, the, during the, uh, the, the great tribulation. They are the ones that weren't martyred. They weren't, they weren't killed, but they put their trust in Christ. They didn't take the mark of the beast, and they entered into the millennial kingdom alive, in human form, human form. This kingdom that Christ is going to establish is a kingdom. It's a physical, actual kingdom. People will be alive. There will, uh, there will be procreation. People, babies will be born. People will die. This is going to be an actual kingdom, but it's going to be an actual kingdom under the reign of a, perfect, of a perfect ruler. Yet, generations after these first people come in to this kingdom, the generations after, some of them are yet to still be deceived. Now think about this, and this is interesting because a lot of times us as people, as Christians, we like to put the blame on everyone else for what we do and what, how we sin, right? Someone cuts you off on the road, you beep, 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 and then you tell someone about it and they say, well, why, why did you react that way? Come on, man, you're not supposed to be talking like that. You're not supposed to be treating people that way. Well, it's because they, did, they made me mad, made me angry. So it was their fault you sinned. Yes, absolutely. No, that's not the way it works. And here we see that. These people are under a perfect king, a perfect ruler who will be with them. Get this, church. Get this. They will have the fullness, the full revelation of Jesus Christ. Understand that. In the Old Testament, they had very little. They had prophecies. They knew the Messiah was to come. 
but they had very little to go on, but they held on to it because they knew that God had promised something. In the New Testament, we actually have Christ, his life, his death, burial, and resurrection. Wow, it happened. We believe it. Not everyone did, but those that, that God allowed to see the truth believed in him. And that testimony of Christ has been handed down from generation to generation to generation until it got to us in these scriptures in this Bible, through these letters that were written, through the gospels that were written. And we believe it. These people will see this Christ. These people will live under his reign. This, these people will know the fullness of his testimony. However, when Satan is let out, some of them will be deceived. That just speaks to the brokenness of the hearts of humanity. Speaks to it. And he's let out for a short period of time, and he's able to raise up an army against the people of Christ and the people of God. Interesting, isn't it? Because so many times, again, we want to blame other people for our sins. When you speak to married couples, it's always someone else's fault for the way I reacted or for the way you reacted. When you talk about violence and you talk about, you get into deep issues. Well, why do you do, well, I did this because this happened to me when I was a kid. And, 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 and yes, some of that is, is a part of it, but we're just broken. In church, the quicker that we come to realize that we're broken in desperate need of a Savior, the, the quicker we do that, the better off we'll be. We are broken. And we're in desperate need of him who died on the cross for us. So that will happen. But we see here that that uprise doesn't last very long. Immediately, fire comes down, consumes them all, and Satan is thrown into the lake of fire where he's tormented forever and ever. And then verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for him. Sorry, <clears throat> I was running out of breath there. Let me take a deeper one. No, I'm kidding. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, uh, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name is not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And so we give attention to this, and we see that they're being judged based off of their works, but ultimately their eternity is being set by what? The book of life. These people who would resurrect at this time are the wicked. And when they come and stand before Christ, his, their names will not be in the book of life because they wouldn't have trusted Christ for their salvation like we saw with this baptism today. They wouldn't have trusted Christ for his salvation during this life. And they will be judged and they will be cast into a lake of fire where Satan, death, and Hades will all be. And at this point, at this point, at the end of this thousand years and this judgment, that's going to usher in what we know to be the new heavens and the new earth, which next week we'll get into in chapter 21 and on. And that's when the entire earth will be restored. And I won't get too much into it. I won't give it away. But that's when we will see the fullness of this creation being restored. But during this millennial kingdom, we know, one, Satan will be bound. He will be put away. He won't be able to deceive the nations. Two, 
Christ will reign here on this earth with an earthly physical kingdom in which God fulfills his promises to Abraham, to David, uh, fulfills the prophecies in the Old Testament about Israel having their kingdom set up. And we know that Satan will be finally uh, put away in the eternal lake of fire to suffer forever and ever along with those who didn't trust in Christ and the wicked. So we know those things are going to happen. And we know that this millennial kingdom for us, the believers, is going to be a great time for us to be reigning with Christ here on this earth during this time and watching him, watching him have every nation under his rule, just executing perfect judgment, perfect righteousness, showing perfect love to every single person in that kingdom. For us will be an amazement in the time of awe in which we will participate and we will reign with him. So what does this do? You know, this type of message is very informational. We're learning about what the millennial kingdom is. But again, one of the prevailing themes during this month has been that learning about heaven, learning about hell, uh, learning about the millennial kingdom, learning about uh, the end times or eschatology, the study of end times, then it should lead us to want to share the gospel with those that are around us. It should lead us to want to go and, and knock on our neighbor's door, to, for us to want to go and knock on the hearts of those that, that we know that are in need and desperate need of a Savior. Not in desperate need of a new house, not in desperate need of a new job. It, it's not about spreading a false gospel. It's about simply teaching that we are sinners and we are in desperate need of a Savior so that our eternity can be secure with Him is secure with him for the rest of time. And that we can only get that through him who gave up his throne on heaven, in heaven. He gave up his place in heaven to come to this earth, to take on the form of human, of mankind, and to experience the wrath of God and the hell that we spoke about so that you and I could have forgiveness of our sins. That's what it should lead us to do. It should lead us to spread the gospel with everyone that we know. So as we're learning this, as we're understanding this even more, church, be messengers of the gospel, be bearers of the gospel. Be those who share hope with those in need of it, who share the love of God with those who don't know it. That we might all experience eternity with him and that we might all reign with him during this millennial kingdom that we see in Revelation chapter 20. Let us pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your love and kindness. We thank you that it is through your love and through your mercy that uh, your desire was not to keep us in the darkness about these mysteries, but it was to reveal these mysteries to us that we might know the truth and we might know your plan. And so, Father, first off, we're just humbled as your people, humbled to be a part of that, humbled to know it. And we ask, God, that, that you would help us to be those who go out into our community and share the hope that is the hope of your son, Jesus. That share your true love with those that surround us that are in need of it. Father, we just thank you so much for your love, for your kindness, and all that you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>